This week, on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from Greek mythology. On the first, you'll see how difficult it can be if the person you're in love with doesn't even know you exist, and you're a 54-foot-tall 9-year-old. On the second story, you'll see how letting your teenager take the car can have catastrophic cosmic consequences. On the Creature of the Week, it's a vicious unicorn elephant that has some strong opinions about your gardening. This is Myths and Legends, Episode 91, Fatherhood. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Whether you're into podcasts about ghastly crimes or hip-hop rhymes, there's always something new to discover on Spotify. With a mix of originals and many of the world's most popular shows, listening to podcasts on Spotify is easy. Just open the app, tap browse, and dive into their growing library. Subscribe to your favorites, including our entire archive, so you'll never miss a show. You can also download podcasts for those moments when you're up in the air or going underground. Podcasts on Spotify are streaming right now, so go check them out. Today, as I said, we're back in Greek mythology. This episode's a standalone one, so you don't need to have heard any of the previous Greek episodes. Greek mythology is, of course, the one with the Olympians. So Zeus, Hera, Apollo, Artemis, Hermes, Athena, and more. And they rule the world from Olympus. And that world includes monsters, mortals, and really everything in between. We're going to start today not on Olympus, but with a princess, enjoying some brief rest by the ocean. Ephimedia sat by the ocean, pouring water into her lap repeatedly and watching it rush down to meet the tide. She was lost in thought, very much enjoying the cool, gentle waves of that summer morning. Ephimedia was also the daughter of a king, and given the pressure of her position, she was all the more thankful to have this quiet moment to enjoy life. She was so lost in thought that she didn't notice the god rising from the ocean until he was nearly standing on top of her. She gasped at his glory. It was Poseidon, god of the sea. Hey there, Poseidon, god of the sea. How's it going? He greeted. Ephemedia smiled and gave a nod. You've probably heard of me, older brother of Zeus, ravishingly handsome, despite the seaweed that's always seeming to cling to me. And, well, all this? He beamed, motioning to the ocean all around him. It's all mine. Yeah, the Earth's over 70% water, and do you know what else is? The human heart. But enough about me, let's talk about us. Us? If Amelia asked with an even bigger smile. Oh yeah, Poseidon continued. I've had my eye on you for a long time, basically all morning, and I have some good news, and I have some great news. Uh-huh, said Ephemedia, still beaming. First... The good news. I love you, Poseidon announced. If Amelia couldn't even respond. If that was the good news, she couldn't imagine what the great news would be. Would he whisk her away, give her the nectar of ambrosia, and she would become a goddess so they could live together in his underwater kingdom with, presumably, no small degree of singing crustaceans? The great news? Poseidon cut in. You're pregnant. Excuse me? If Amelia said. How? 
that ocean water you've been scooping up into your lap? <laughs> yeah, that's not ocean water. Well, I gotta go. Enjoy your demigod baby, or babies, or brood of vipers. Honestly, when it comes to us Olympians, who knows what's gonna come out? You're not staying? If media stammered. Oh, come on, I couldn't do that. Still, it's been a lot of fun. For me, anyway. Have a nice life. Oh, be sure to tell the kids how great I am. That'll make up for growing up without a father. Also, don't tell my wife about any of this. Thanks, Poseidon said as he dipped back into the ocean, leaving me shocked and now showing Iphimedia sitting alone on the beach. Otis laid next to his brother, Ephialtes. They were just two 54-foot-tall, full-grown nine-year-olds out staring up at the stars. They'd always known they were a bit different. The fact that they grew six feet taller and a foot and a half wider each year since the day they were born was a pretty solid giveaway. Their mom told them that they were the sons of Poseidon, but they shouldn't take after him because he's a massive jerk. Now, they were out together on a camping trip, staring up at the twinkling stars, and even though they were massively large adolescent boys, they were still adolescent boys. Whoa, ew. Hera, though? That's your number one? I mean, Zeus doesn't even like Hera, and he's married to her, Oda said. Oh yeah, 100%, Ephialtes replied. There's just something about the queen of the gods that, yeah, Hera. How about you? Artemis, Otis replied. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I get that one. Goddess of the hunt, chastity, virginity, constantly rejecting marriage and love, Afielti said, nodding. Makes sense. Yeah, I know, Otis said. That's why I picked her. Doesn't matter, though. Those Olympians, they don't even know we exist. We're nothing. Just the rejected sons of, let's face it, a third-rate son of Cronus. Yeah, dude, I mean, we can throw mountains into the sea, but a woman like Hera won't ever look in our direction. Ephialtes replied. Otis sat, contemplating things for a long moment, before repeating his brother. They could throw mountains into the sea. What if they could throw Mount Olympus into the sea? Or at least threaten to? They could wage war on the Olympians and show that they were the masters of the universe. And then they could be with Artemis and Hera. Ephialtes was getting excited about this. The brothers had always known they were born for more than the idle life as the giant grandsons of a king. But Ephialtes quickly arrived at one fairly obvious snag. What if Artemis, or Hera, didn't want to be with a 54-foot-tall nine-year-old? Otis laughed. Ephialtes may be older, but he definitely wasn't wiser. This was ancient Greece, and they were nephews of Zeus. Oh, got it, so we're going to be horrifying. Cool, Ephialtes said, smiling. Ares, the god of war, returned home after a long day of chaos and carnage. He had only been back 10 minutes before hearing a knock at the door. Hmm, he wasn't expecting anyone. Well, except Aphrodite later, Ares smirked. Maybe her husband had gone to bed early. Hephaestus was always overdoing it at the forge. Ares sauntered to the door and flung it wide open. But it was no goddess of love who was cheating on her husband with him. 
Instead, he saw the very different and very unwelcome sight of the massive feet and shins of two 54-foot-tall nine-year-olds. The god of war uttered a quick, Hello, before an enormous hand plucked him from the doorway, bashing him unconscious and carrying him away. Otis and Ephialtes high-fived. The first stage of their plan was complete. There was no way the Olympians could make a full-scale war on them without Ares. The Olympians would be by themselves on their mountain. Now, if you're going to assault the rulers of the heavens, earth, and sky, it's probably a good idea to talk to an oracle first to see how it might go. The oracle decided to forego her normal, vague, and non-committal language to tell them, in no uncertain terms, that the brothers could not be killed, maimed, or even harmed by anyone else in existence. The brothers ran their plan for the assault on Olympus by the oracle, who told them that, yes, definitely, green light. If their brothers attacked Olympus, no god, human, or any combination thereof would be able to hurt or kill them. Period. Full stop. They might want to get on with it, though. Now that this prophecy was out there, it would become known to other oracles. In fact, Apollo was probably already texting Hera about the whole thing. Hera awoke with a scream. They were coming. The pair that could tear Olympus up by its roots. The twins. And they would... Wait. Where was Zeus? She glanced at the other side of the bed and around the room. He wasn't there. Of course he wasn't there. When he finally showed up the next morning, he rolled into the meeting of the gods already in progress. No one else was really in the mood for Zeus. Aside from them all kind of secretly hating him, they told Zeus that two giant, unkillable preteens were coming to take Hera and Artemis, or destroy Olympus trying. Zeus lowered his sunglasses. No, no they would not. He stood in the center of the group and announced that no one, and I mean no one, disrespects Hera. The group paused. Really? That's what you're going with? That's your big motivation? Hmm. Okay. The other Olympians said in unison. I am a totally loving and faithful husband, said Zeus. And I am offended that anyone would insinuate otherwise. So where'd you spend last night? Hera piped in. Zeus paused and then looked into the distance. Oh my gosh, threatening nine-year-olds to turn up the mountain next door. Let's shelve this conversation for later. Ah, oh, look how right Hera was about all this. That's really the takeaway here. Everyone, prepare for battle. The collective eye roll was quickly followed by shock. Zeus's very obvious diversion was also a very imminent threat. A pair of very dangerous and essentially immortal giant nine-year-olds had just finished building their base. Out of another mountain, they had torn from the ground at the foot of Olympus. You know you can't kill us. Otis and Ephialtes yelled at the Olympians. All we want is Hera and Artemis. The rest of you can go free. If not, we won't rest until Olympus is torn stone from stone and all of you are dead. Deal? Zeus yelled back that they would need to talk about it. The brothers narrowed their eyes and motioned to their non-existent wristwatches, then held up ten fingers. The gods had ten minutes. Zeus whipped around and called the gods to him. If the oracles were right, and really, when were they not? then there would be no standing against this pair of giant nine-year-olds. Part of being a leader as wise as Zeus was knowing when to hold him and when to fold him. Sure, 
They wanted to kidnap and viciously rape his wife and daughter. But sometimes in war, terrible prices had to be paid. Zeus turned around to accept their terms, but found that Artemis was already out there. Otis stood alone in the hollowed-out mountain that served as their fortress, explaining that his brother had gone to the bathroom. He hadn't really expected them to come to terms so quickly. Artemis replied that she would surrender herself to them if they would lift the siege of Olympus. Otis shook with excitement. Not only was Artemis, the woman he was infatuated with, talking to him, but she was agreeing to be his wife and lover. Granted, under the threat of death and destruction, but they could work past that. Otis's voice cracked as he screamed exuberantly that they accepted the terms. Artemis asked him to meet her on the island of Naxos for his reward. She smiled to the giant, and Otis nodded breathlessly. The Olympians disappeared from the edge of the mountain, just as Ephialtes returned from the bathroom. What? Were you guys just talking? What'd I miss? Dude, we won, Otis said. What? Ephialtes couldn't believe it. Just like that? Just like that? We're meeting on the island of Naxos, Otis said, jumping up and down. Wow. You know, I can't believe they agreed to give up Artemis and Hera just like that, Ephialtes reflected. Otis's eyes widened. Oh, yeah. Me neither. We should go. She, they, they will be waiting for us. Don't want to leave them waiting. As the brothers approached Naxos, Ephialtes turned to his nervous brother. Okay, I'm seeing Artemis, but... Not Hera. Where's Hera? I'm sure she's here. No need to fret about it, Otis reassured him. No? No, I don't see her. The Olympians have gone back on their agreement. Let's go back and tear that place to pieces, Ephialtes fumed and started to turn the boat around. Yeah, Otis shouted. Except that they haven't gone back on their agreement. You didn't, Ephialtes said, frowning. I'm so sorry, I did. It's just that it was Artemis. She was talking to me and things were moving so fast. I just stopped thinking. I accepted their terms of just her. I'm so sorry, but it's Artemis. Come on, let me have this, Otis pleaded. Ephialtes stood there, sullen, looked at Artemis standing there on the beach. He sighed and replied, I get her first. Oh, no, 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 ew, come on. Now this is just getting gross, Otis spat. No, those are my terms. As older brother, I get her first. Seriously, no, Ephialtes glowered at Otis. He didn't care what his younger brother said. He was going to go for it. Both very young men clambered at the edge of their boat as they approached the island, and Artemis smiled, motioning for them to draw near into the forest. Even before the boat beached on the sandy bank, the brothers bounded off after the woman. And they immediately lost her. The forest was thick, and Artemis was the goddess of the hunt, so she was really good at moving silently through nature. The brothers crashed through the trees and looked all around. Ephialtes spotted it first. Off in the distance, a heart, or a deer, stood majestically among the trees. Ephialtes pulled out a spear, but Otis rolled his eyes. Okay, new deal. Ephialtes could have the deer, and Otis could have Artemis. Ephialtes laughed. His younger brother had so much to learn about the world. Otis replied that, one, 
I'm three minutes younger than you, so chill out. And two, what do you mean? Ephialtes explained that it was a test. Artemis was the goddess of the hunt, right? Well, she was obviously testing them to see who could kill this heart, to see who was worthy of her. Otis laughed. That's... Oh, I see. He pulled out his own spear, elbowed his brother aside, and ran off after the heart. Ephialtes recovered, and the brothers separated, bounding deeper into the forest. Otis was annoyed that this obvious quest for the hand of a goddess wasn't easier to kill. It was impossibly fast, and just seemed to be taunting him at this point. It would dive and dart away, only to reappear right next to him, after he had already thrown his spear. After three hours, he was as infuriated as he was exhausted. But there it was again. There in a clearing, eating grass. Otis stayed low, moving silently. An excitement began to well inside him as he approached, proud that the heart hadn't hurt him yet. The animal continued eating in the clearing. His heart pounded as he neared the tree line, raised the spear above his head, and let it fly. A lot of things happened next. Mid-throw, the heart looked straight at Otis and took off. The spear never touched her. Otis felt a thud, and then he heard a groan from the other side of the clearing, where his spear had entered the woods. He watched his brother, Ephialtes, stagger out from the trees, with Otis's spear lodged firmly in his chest. Otis tried to go to his brother, but his feet wouldn't work. He tried to yell out, but he couldn't breathe. He looked down and saw his brother's spear buried deeply into his own chest. Otis staggered out from the trees, and the brothers collapsed at the same time in the clearing. As they bled out, the heart returned and transformed into Artemis. She didn't come to have pity on them or ease their passing. She just inspected the spear wounds to make sure they were fatal. When she was satisfied, she sneered at the nine-year-olds and started to walk away. When, through way too much blood, Ephialtes coughed a how. Oh, how did this happen? Artemis asked. Well, first, don't mess with Artemis. That's a free life lesson for whatever amount of life you have left. And second, the oracle said you, the brothers, couldn't be killed by any other god, human, or creature, right? Ephialtes nodded. It's right there in the prophecy, kiddo. The brothers couldn't be killed by any other. You two can still kill each other. Seriously, you're only nine years old, so I'll cut you some slack. But the oracle's prophecies always backfire. She left the brothers to die alone on the ground. The pair held hands as they passed on. They had only one regret. Deciding to kidnap and rape Hera and Artemis and literally everything that followed. Three weeks later, Otis and Ephialtes' stepmom heard a knock at the door. Hermes pushed past her and went straight to the cellar where, in a giant bronze jar, Ares, the god of war, was bound and gagged. He was very much in need of a shower and nearly starved, but alive. He limped out, Hermes supporting him, both scowling as they went. Hermes paused and turned to Otis and Ephialtes' stepmom. This had been in her basement the entire time, and also her stepsons were dead and likely decomposing somewhere. Have a nice day.
Otis and Ephialtes, despite being giant, were not real giants. At least not in the ancient Greek sense of the word. They were very big nine-year-olds, but the giants in Greek mythology are a very specific group that were born to avenge the Titans, and we're actually going to be talking all about their story next week. Next up, it's a nearly unrelated story of the sun god, Helios, and an unexpected visitor. Ugh, it was just so bright. Phaethon shielded his face as he approached the Palace of the Sun. It was located just a few hundred miles past the city of Colchis, which longtime listeners will recognize as the home city of Medea. It had been a dangerous and deadly journey for the ancient world Avengers, known as the Argonauts, but this 14-year-old had made it in under two weeks by walking and avoiding sea monsters, murderous kings, way too many Amazons, deadly birds, and sentient glyphs. Helios, the sun god, watched the boy climb the steps, still shielding his eyes. Helios sighed. Here comes another dead guy. I am so sorry to be the bearer of bad news, kid, but you have about five minutes to turn back before my house kills you. It's nothing personal, but you'll be cooked alive standing there on the stairs if you don't head back down. Right now. I understand you came all this way on the big quest to find the Palace of the Sun. Feel free to stop at the gift shop at the foot of the mountain. Disclaimer, we don't really take credit card because that doesn't exist yet. The youth looked up as best he could, tears starting to well up in his eyes. Dad? He ventured. What? No, no, no. He at least refused. But Phaethon continued, saying his mother, Clemine, had sent him. Oh, yeah, I know Clymene. Oh, Clymene. Helios was probably just as shocked by this realization as he was by the boy rushing up the stairs and going in for that first dad hug. No, 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 what are you doing? You will literally catch on fire. Oh, you're not catching on fire. Huh. Okay, well, hi there. Helios sighed and took off his shining helmet, and Phaethon could see. He told the boy to sit down on the stairs and tell the sun god a little bit more about himself. Helios learned that Phaethon's mother had told him at a young age who his father was, and that was a never-ending source of grief in the boy's life. Not for him personally, it was more his insistence that he was yet another son of a god that earned him a lot of eye rolls from adults and a lot of mockery from children. Helios looked down in shame. He had no idea his complete lack of responsibility would lead to problems for people that were a direct result of his complete lack of responsibility. He acknowledged and apologized to his son for everything the kid had gone through on account of Helios. To make up for it, he told his son to ask for anything, anything at all, and he shall have it. Helios swore a binding promise on the river Styx itself to give the child anything he asked for. This was the happiest day of Phaethon's life. Not only did he have a dad, but that dad was a great guy. He had often watched the sun pass through the sky during the day and knew that his father was up there, pulling it across in his chariot. He had often dreamed of riding through the sky, driving his father's chariot. He grinned. That, that was what he asked of his father. No, 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 Helios said, shaking his head. Absolutely not. That's a hard no. But, but why not? Phaethon asked. I'm your son. I can do it. No, you really can't, Helios said. 
And this isn't like a situation where you just need to believe in yourself and you can do it. No, you are literally unable to control these horses and drive the sun across the sky. It's the sun, son. That thing gets out of control, and that is it for the entire Earth. No, you cannot take the car. <sighs> but didn't you just swear it on the river sticks? Don't you have to honor that promise no matter what? Phaethon replied. Okay, that was an oversight on my part, Helios trailed off. So I'm doing it. Okay, please, please, please don't do this. It would be catastrophically bad. I shouldn't have promised it on sticks, but, but I felt bad and we were bonding. It is so dangerous up there. You know the constellations? The bull, the scorpion, the lion, cancer the crab that fought Hercules for like 10 seconds? People think that when the Olympians fling something up into the sky, it just becomes stars or ceases to exist or whatever. That is not the case. They're all still hanging around up there. And science spoiler alert, the constellations don't go anywhere during the day. They just get harder to see. It's all relative. That crab is still up there. And he might not have been a problem for Hercules, but he's a problem for me every day of my life. He attacks me every morning and makes for a deeply toxic work environment. The horses are jerks too. They don't know you. And it takes all my strength each day to keep them in line up there. Plus, there's a ridiculously steep climb in the morning and a drop at night. And if you don't keep things at just the right level, you'll plunge the earth into an ice age or set it on fire. So please, take anything else. But for your safety, and that of every other life on earth, don't take the sun out tomorrow morning. Phaethon heard his father, but he also knew that he was the son of a god. His whole life he knew that he was meant for more. He announced that his father might not believe in him, but he believed in himself. And he knew that he could do this. Once again, it's not an issue of confidence. Okay, let me show you how it works. Phaethon spent 20 minutes learning how to do something that his father had spent eons doing, but had not yet mastered, and decided that he was good to go. It was simple. 10 and 2, check your mirrors, don't speak, got it. Yeah. Now's not the time for jokes, kid. This is so ridiculously serious. All right, get in, grab the reins, get off your phone, grab the reins, get ready for the cue. Okay, that's it. Go, yes, go. The seasons flung open the gates and the eastern wind blasted Phaethon in the face. The horses shot off and began that first steep climb in the morning. Phaethon held on tight. That first climb was exhilarating. The horses galloping in front of him, the sun burning behind him, and when he crested that first climb, he hung weightlessly, surveying everything. For a moment, he was truly the lord of the sky. Helios watched from the ground for the first time in forever, he watched his son survive the initial climb, which was actually better than he was expecting, and thought that if his kid could do that, maybe there was more to him. Maybe his son could do it. He was right for approximately 10 more seconds. Phaethon furrowed his brow and gripped the reins tighter. It was time to start the day. Except that the horses took one look back. <laughs> oh no, no, who does this guy think he is? They barely respected Helios, and he put this kid in charge? <laughs> yeah, right. They were going to have some fun with this. Helios felt it before he saw it. The temperature on Earth started to drop. First, it was just a bit chilly for a summer morning. Then, a few seconds later, he could see his breath. Then he started shivering violently as the sky was all but dark again. 
and the snow began to fall from the sky. He yelled to Phaethon to turn it around, bring it back. He was getting too far off course, and the earth was going to dip into endless winter and night, and that wasn't a great mythology thing. The other guys did that. Maybe the horses heard the voice of their master, and course corrected. Maybe they just got tired of running deeper into the frigid vacuum of space. Who knows? Regardless, they did course correct. And Helios saw the sun returning to earth. He sighed. All right, back on track. He relaxed for about 40 seconds this time, because the sun got back into the right place and then kept on coming. The earth was now getting hotter. That was when Helios had a visit from his boss. What are you doing down here? You had one job, Zeus bellowed. Helios tried to explain that it was his son, and he'd accidentally sworn on sticks, and he just wanted to be a good father. Zeus rolled his eyes. We all have kids that come to find us, Zeus said. You do the Olympian thing, and you ignore them, unless they kill a monster. You don't let them drive the sun after skimming the manual for like 20 minutes. Both of the gods were sweating quite profusely by this point, and things had somehow grown worse in the sky. Phaethon had dropped the reins altogether, and was now clinging to the chariot for dear life. The rivers and streams on the earth under the sun were boiling and turning to steam. The Sahara was on fire, and the source of the Nile hid. The chariot, with all the speeding up and slowing down, had burst into flames itself, and now Phaethon was screaming. He was on fire. The horses were on fire, and the sun was completely out of control. Zeus sighed. He turned to Helios. Hey, Helios, I'm sorry. Zeus said. Helios shook his head. He didn't understand. I'm sorry you're so bad at your job that your kid has to die, Zeus said, before pulling out one of his lightning bolts. By the time Helios realized it, the lightning bolt was already in the sky. A second later, it hit the chariot. The chariot that had pulled the sun for eons shattered, and Phaethon died on impact. The horses, set free, ran to the sea to put out the fire, and the sun still carried with the momentum of the chariot, flew into the sea on the other side of the world. The day had only lasted about ten minutes. The earth itself had burn marks, and countless humans were dead, all because Helios let his son drive the car. Helios hung his head, wishing that his son had listened. Zeus rested his hand on the god's shoulder. Hey, buddy, cheer up. Or don't. Regardless, you need to build a new chariot, find your horses, and fish the sun out of the ocean by tomorrow morning. Okay, bye. Helios' shoulders slumped. As he watched Phaethon fall from the sky, he began the long walk to see his son. And by the time he made it, the river was already cradling and cooling Phaethon's body. Helios put his arm around Clemene. She and her daughters had come to mourn Phaethon, the boy whose only mistake was wanting to be like his father, and also not listening to his father when his father told him that that was a really bad idea. The three women turned into poplar trees, so they could always weep for Phaethon. And Helios left, alone, to find the sun. He never had any more children. In some versions of the story, Phaethon, his mother, and his sisters all lived together with Helios and at the insistence of his mother and sisters, who encourage him to claim his birthright and drive the sun across the sky, he does so to the exact same end. Turns out all the self-esteem in the world cannot make up for the kid's complete lack of preparation and ability. Next week, 
as I mentioned, it's the war between the Giants and the Olympians, where everyone dives into the fray, and we'll see the return of an old, old friend. I want to say thanks to Clarabelle Boo, Appy Chat, Mill Mill 23450, Eggs and Pickles, Bob Down 89, Mr. Tree, The Parlor Room Deborah, Hampton Boy 1, Gretzinger, Drac Evans, Mandy 5066, Sarah Gwynn, and Incapable Hulk. I like that one. For leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so, so much for listening and taking the time to leave a review. And it does help the show. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of an indoor snowball kit, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that aren't just an excuse to pelt your friends and family with cold, tiny pillows. Really, that's all an indoor snowball kit is. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Camahueto from Mapuche mythology from south-central Chile. The Camahueto is apparently called the sea elephant. If you see a horn sticking out of the ground, run. Because that horn will quickly come running after you. Camahuetos grow from the horn of a previous Camahueto that's been planted in the ground. The young elephant-like creature will expand underground until the day that it's born by bursting out of that ground and running to water as fast as it can, no matter what's in the way. Despite being a silver elephant thing with a unicorn horn and shark claws and teeth, its only natural enemy is tasteful gardening. It can't resist trashing gardens and landscaping. My personal guess is that maybe it hates roots after competing for space underground. Regardless, it won't run to the sea right away. That's too big of a step. It hangs out in marshes and shallow lakes until it feels ready to move to the sea. When it does so, it, again, trashes any gardens and landscaping it can find in its path. That's when a machi, a religious leader and healer, comes into play. It'll wrap some kelp around the Camahueto's neck and lead it safely to water. You might be wondering, if Camahuetos only grow from the horns of Camahuetos and all Camahuetos live in the sea, how do new horns get on land? Well, the healer that leads it to water does not work for free. When they get to the water, the person will tear the horn off, bandaging the opening, and it'll push the Camahueto to its new home. She'll take the horn, bury it, and wait for the process to start all over again. Why, you ask? Well, when parts of the horn of the Camahueto are ground up and combined with seawater and apple cider, it becomes a tonic that restores the vitality of men. But not just in the way that you're thinking. It restores potency, but it also gives you, quote, the power of Hercules. It's like a Cialis commercial, but then the guy picks up that bathtub and fights a hydra with it. In response to being born for that reason, the now hornless Camahueto spends the rest of its life taking out its frustration by wrecking any ship it sees. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.